So we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. 1 Samuel's in the Old Testament, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And we're going to look at some uh, interesting dynamics here between the little boy Samuel and uh, the aged old high priest Eli. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, and it reads, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word, and, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun, begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was laying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call, lie down again. And he went and lie down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Let's pray. God in heaven, today we thank you again for this beautiful Sabbath. And we thank you for your holy word. And we just pray, God, as we look at this passage and its meaning for us today. I ask and pray, God, that you would guide me with your Holy Spirit. May these be your words and not mine. And I ask and pray, God, that your spirit be present in this place, ministering to each heart. We ask and pray, God. May Jesus be lifted up at this time. We pray in his holy name. Amen. Um, I'd like to begin with an experience that happened recently. While my family and I were out shopping, um, we were actually uh, shopping for clothes, and so uh, we were getting out of the car, and as I sometimes do, I take, a, I take some tracks out of the console and put them in my little pocket if I have one, or sometimes I put it in my wallet. And so, um, of course, as I was going in, the intention would be to hand these out. So my observant eldest son, uh, who's very bright, uh, asked a question I never uh, expected. And he said, Daddy, can I hand one of those out? And I said, of course you can hand one of them out. So I gave him one. And of course, you know, if he gets one, his brother wants one too. So I gave one to Caden. 
So we go into the store and we're shopping and he said, Daddy, Daddy, can I give it? As we're going into the store, can I give it? You know, he's asking to give it to everybody he sees. I said, well, just wait a minute, son. We'll get into the store and then you you can hand one out. So we get into the store and um, he said, Daddy, he's looking at this couple and he he hones in, he zeroes in on this couple. And so he says, Daddy, can I please give them a track? I said, okay, son. Listen, this, I told him what to say, you know, that I have a gift for you and I, I would like to share this with you. Here you go. Just that simple. So it's okay. So he goes up and he, he very naturally and with great enthusiasm, which I have never used in giving out a tract, he gives this tract to the lady and says, I have a gift for you. And if that wasn't amazing enough, What amazed me even more, and I should not have been surprised, was the response of the lady who received the tract from this five-year-old stranger. Because I have never, ever gotten a response the way my son got a response from giving a tract. Her face lit up as if it was the most beautiful thing she had ever received in her life. It, as if it was the greatest gift. She, her shoulders went up. Her eyes went up. She was, said, thank you so much. And she was just glowing. And my son simply walks away. But as I watched, she continued to glow. She continued to watch him. And even when they finally left the store, while we were still shopping, she said goodbye to little Michael as she was leaving. And I'm sitting there thinking, I have never, ever gotten a response like this, handing out tracts. And he does it one time, and the lady's uh, just floating off of the ground. And so I learned a very important lesson today. I, uh, that day, I thought, you know what? I really need to be more enthusiastic when I do this. You know, I almost kind of do it as a matter of routine and and almost obligation, you know. And so... I thought, wow, why am I not this enthusiastic about this? You know, maybe I would get a better response from people. But, you know, it's amazing how God can use a a child to do ministry sometimes, oftentimes, better than we can, can't we? Of all the countless tracts I've ever handed out, uh, I have never had that kind of experience from what I saw uh, in my my son do that day, and he's only five, and he he's never been to college for ministry. He's never been in the mission field. He's never preached a sermon, but on any given day, he would do a thousand times better than his father would do. And I learned a very important lesson that day of how God can use children, oftentimes better than we can. Uh, for ministry. And in our story for today, we're not reading the entire chapter, but, excuse me, what we're actually reading about here is a transition from the aged old high priest Eli and his ministry, and the baton is being handed off to young Samuel, who... um, The Bible never tells us exactly how old he is, but in my previous studies of this chapter and the word boy here, it calls Samuel a boy, that this can be used of a a young person anywhere from infancy until adolescence, maybe late teens. 
But we do know that, at least in the previous chapter, that he was still a very small child, that it says that his mother would come a year after year and she would bring him some little clothes, okay? And it uses the word little. And so he, he also um, wore a, a little ephod that was a, a clothing that uh, ministers in the temple would wear. So he was still a child at this time. And so we read about this calling of God upon his life into this role of God's prophet and and minister at an extremely young age. Now, unfortunately, in our day and age and in our society, we would never allow this. God does it, but we wouldn't allow it. And so... He is called and established, it says here at the end of the chapter, if you read all the way through, that God establishes Eli as a prophet in Israel at an extremely young age. But in the process of transitioning the priesthood, in the process of this boy being transitioned into the ministry, he needed help. And he got help from the aged Uh, high priest Eli. And this was a very, very important part of him understanding his calling. As as the context goes here that uh, little Eli or little Samuel um, is simply uh, serving there in the temple with Eli under his direction, the Bible says that that, uh, I'm sorry, Samuel, he was Uh, He ministered to the Lord before Eli. So he was under the direct instruction of the high priest Eli. We don't have time to go through all the backstory, but you know his uh, little Samuel's mother was barren. She prayed for a child. She came to the tabernacle. Um, She was blessed by Eli himself. She conceived and she actually dedicated her son to the church or to the ministry for the rest of her life. She, she prayed to God, if I could have a son, I would dedicate him to the Lord forever. And she did that very thing. And when he was weaned, somewhere between the age of three and five, he was brought to the temple and he served there for the rest of his life. So it was a very unique and special circumstance. And so as he's there under the direction of Eli, everybody is asleep Everybody is resting, and as the story goes, he hears a voice calling him. Now, what is actually happening is that little Samuel, while everyone is asleep, is actually being converted, so to speak. He's coming into a relationship with God. He's hearing God's voice for himself. It is no longer just Eli's God or my mother's God. It is now the God of Samuel. He's coming into a personal relationship with God himself. And this is so pivotal for for, uh, us to learn. Because every parent, every grandparent, even your neighbors, we should be praying most of all for the conversion of our children and our grandchildren. Amen? There is nothing more important that they come to know the Lord for themselves. 
And so little, e- little Samuel is coming into a personal relationship with God himself. And it's just as quiet as can be. Because it's not a, a big dramatic thing like Paul being converted on the road to Damascus and being knocked off of a horse. It's, it's this quiet but genuine conversion. And so here is where it is important for us to understand how important it is for the old and the young to be together in their, their journey with God and in ministry. Because we read here that while Samuel was, listening, was hearing the voice of God, he did not know that it was God who was calling him. Who did he think that it was? He thought it was Eli. Not once, not twice, but three times. When God spoke to little Samuel, he immediately ran to his father, his adopted father, Eli. And so after a while, Eli, you know, he could have been very annoyed with uh, little Samuel, you know, and said, if you get out of bed again, I'm just going to, you know, tan your hide or something, whatever. But he understands what's going on. And this is very keen and perceptive of Eli. Now, Eli had some problems and some faults, didn't he? He was quite an imperfect father in many ways. We don't have time to go into it, but he did not raise his two biological children very well. They were scoundrels. They were... Uh, they, they were the lowest of the low. They, they were doing some extremely corrupt things to bring dishonor upon the name of God and the ministry. And Eli did not do what was necessary to restrain his sons. He condemned their behavior, but he didn't take any action against his children. So in, in some ways we see here the, that Eli was not the perfect high priest, he was not the perfect father, but... He does understand what is happening here with little Samuel. And his role was extremely important in helping little Samuel to recognize and understand that he was being called to serve God. Samuel did not know that God was calling him. He didn't understand what was happening. But it says here in verse 8, Towards the middle of the verse, it says, Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said, verse 9, Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. So I have a question for us today as a church. Have we recognized, do we acknowledge the call of God to our youth, to his service? Have we recognized that God is calling all members of our church, all people in our church, even the youth, to ministry? Have we recognized that as a church? I have to say, in many ways, we're actually doing very well. Even today, we saw some of our young people helping with our service. 
But we, we have to understand that God sometimes calls our children, our youth, our young people to do amazing things far beyond what we could ever imagine. I think of Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 7, where God is calling Jeremiah into uh, the prophetic role uh, of a minister in a very, very difficult time. And the children of Israel will soon be going into captivity for their rebellion. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, that's Jeremiah saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a what? What does the Bible say? I am a youth or child, some versions may say. I am a child. And he said in verse 7, But the Lord said, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. And the point I'm trying to make here, you can go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, you can look at other examples. Uh, Many, many scholars believe that John, Peter, James, and John, the apostle of Jesus, was indeed a teenager when he was called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I I would challenge you to go and research that. Even the fact that he lived the longest uh, into the 90s A.D., helps us to understand that he was extremely young at the time of Jesus' ministry. But we need to recognize here that God calls our young people and all people into ministry, and it is important for us as a church to help them understand how God wants to use them. We need to recognize that the mission of the church cannot be accomplished until both young and old come together to accomplish that mission. Our, 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 the mission that God has given us will never fully be completed until we entrust more to the ministry of our young people. Yes, even our children have an important role in accomplishing the work in these last days. Our young people, they need the older ones, but the grown and even aged Christians cannot accomplish the work of the ministry without the young either. So we must ask the question, how do we encourage and inspire our young people to be more engaged in the church and in ministry and more engaged with God? And I also want to say, kind of as a side note, that one important uh, thing that I learned um, from preparing for this message is how young and old minister to each other. I learned that there is a lot of research that has been done that when older people or, or, or adults when they engage with young people and children in meaningful ways, that their quality of life dramatically increases. And you do know the opposite is true. When children and young people, when they engage with those who are older than them, uh, father figures or grandparent-like figures, when they engage with them in meaningful ways, that their quality of life dramatically goes up as well. Isn't that very interesting? 
Isn't that very interesting how God uses these intergenerational relationships to minister to his people? And if you you miss anything else today, I, I want you to remember the importance of these intergenerational relationships in the church. They are so important and so necessary uh, in our church and for the work of the ministry. So the, the quality of life goes up, the quality of the ministry, the effectiveness of ministry is more successful. So Eli was, he was very instrumental in helping little Samuel understand his calling. But he didn't just help him to understand it, he also helped him to know how to respond to God by saying, telling him, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. He helped him to realize that he was a servant, he was to be a servant of the Lord. Not just present, not just around, but a servant of God. Now, As I mentioned before, that Eli had a lot of trouble with his uh, older sons. And uh, it was a real burden in his life. I don't have time to go into it. I want to challenge you to go back. Uh, But read uh, Ellen White's comment on the relationship between Eli and little Samuel. That little Samuel brought a lot of joy into Eli's life. And they had a very special bond uh, with one another. And Eli valued little Samuel very much. But even more, even more than this, God himself placed a very great value on this child. God himself even placed a great responsibility on this little child beyond what anybody else would have thought that they were capable. Now, I'm not telling you go give the keys to the car to, you know, your kids or grandkids if they're not. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, what are young people and even children capable of that we often restrain them from doing? What kind of value is God placing on this child by calling him into a prophetic office at this age? And what about Jeremiah? What about Timothy, who was called also at a very young age, or John? Think about the value that God places on these. And I want to challenge us today to affirm the value And the contribution that young people, yes, even children, can make in our church, in our society. Even if we don't approve of their behavior. Even if we don't approve of their behavior. Oftentimes our relationships uh, with others and young people are determined by what they do. We accept them, we approve of them if they act or behave in a certain way. But we have to ask the question, was this the attitude of Christ? I think of John chapter 8. We all know the story of the woman caught in adultery. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. We don't have time to look at the passage, but the Bible says that when they brought this uh, adulterous woman to Jesus... 
that she was caught in the very act of adultery. There's the behavior. And if you go to John chapter 8 and read verses 1 through 11, we read that Jesus, he was writing in the sand when these people accused her of adultery. Um, by the way, where was the guy at? You know, I always wondered, where was, why didn't they bring him? Anyway, uh, Jesus began writing in the sand and we understand that he was writing their sins as well, too. And so one by one, they all left. And after they left, it was just Jesus and the woman standing there. In verse 10, it says, When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Hmm. Isn't that very interesting? And we have to ask our questions. What, ask the question, what is our response when we see behavior that we do not agree with? Now, Jesus called it for what it was. It was sin. Jesus said, go and sin no more. We're not talking about condoning sin. But we're talking about valuing and loving and accepting people even if we don't like their behavior. Because ultimately, in the end, this is what's going to strike a chord in people for them to say, man, if they will love me, no matter what I do, maybe there is something to this gospel that they preach. Maybe there is something to this Jesus for whom they talk about. Maybe there, there is a place for me, yes, even me, within the church, within this family, within the ministry. And so God calls us to love and value all people. And ultimately, this is where true, genuine behavior change comes from this, this practicing of the gospel towards others. Now, actually, not only is this biblical, but there's much research that has been done on this as well, too. And I'd like to show a video at this time as we begin wrapping up where there is a group, maybe some of you have heard Barna. There, this is a, a, a research think tank that does uh, uh, research for all kinds of ministries all over the United States. And they wanted to do a study and understand um, this was done years ago. Um, young people, you know, why, why are so many leaving the church and not coming back? And so they, they did a, this, this study uh, specifically focused on the Adventist church and Adventist young people. And this is uh, just a little bit of a recap of some of the research that they did uh, when they studied uh, young uh, teenagers in the Seventh-day Adventist church. So I'll ask if Charles will play this video now. So the, yeah, the real, if you could please turn uh, value some of, the out. of some of the research that we did was 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 those conversations, those online conversations between us and the and the young millennials, uh, and, and amongst themselves, and really understanding what specific experiences in their past had either drawn them in to their local church or had kind of pushed them away. There were three particular things that really jumped out to us. The first one I think is the most important, and I think it's the most important thing we learned in this entire study. 
And that is the value of intergenerational relationships. So the young people in the church having a relationship with somebody in the church that's older. That might be their parents' age. It might be their grandparents' age. It might be more of an older brother kind of age. But just some relationship they have with somebody outside their peer group. And here's the key thing. All those relationships are happening. Everybody we talk to had a relationship with somebody older than them. The question was, was it a good relationship? Was it a supportive relationship? Was it the relationship that would pull them in or was it a relationship that would push them away? But the relationships are happening. Um, It was fascinating to see the variety of the stories that they told. And I will say one of the things that was tremendously encouraging for me and should give hope to those out there is that we saw a lot of very strong, very positive, very supportive relationships among young people in the church and older people in the church. It's not like some holy grail that we're out there trying to find. It's, it's all over the place. And that's encouraging, that's exciting, and, and that's, that should be what, what we see, and it is what we see. But we also see the, the dark side of those relationships. We also see the relationships of, of somebody who um, is, is judgmental or is accusatory or is just disconnected from the young people in the church. And they're, they're sending signals, whether it's intentional or not, that you know what, you're not quite valuable yet, maybe later. Uh, but but right, now, right now, you're only valuable if you're fully engaged and fully participating and fully doing all the things that we want you to do. And if you're not really doing that, then come talk to us when you are. And so we still we see that attitude among some of the older um, members of the congregation. So really, the, it's not whether there's intergenerational relationships or not that matters. There are. They are happening. The young people in your church do have relationships with people who are older than they are. The question is, are they the kind of relationships that you want? Are they the kind of relationships that are going to draw them in and give them an anchor and anchor in a good way, not anchor like, you know, I'm going down. Uh, but give them an anchor to, to keep them involved even when times get hard, even when they have a grievance, a legitimate grievance with somebody else in the church, maybe even a leader in the church, but they've got some, some other person who can come alongside and guide them through that. Um, that's what we want to see. And we, we had comments like, there was one girl who, who was actually in Canada and she said the, there was a group of ladies who came to every Christmas program. They would always be there. Whenever the kids in the church would put on a Christmas program, they were there. And as they got older, they started going uh, to Florida for, for the winter. But they would always stay long enough to watch our Christmas program. And, and, and if you're from Canada, you know that's no small thing, to stay in Canada long enough to watch the Christmas program before you head south for the winter. And that stuck with her. And it was a, it was a key piece of information. And it wasn't even this deep, you know, this wasn't like women who were teaching her to knit or, or taking her into their home. It was just that, that message of she was valued and, and the work she was doing is valued by these women so that they were going to inconvenience themselves, um, stay a little bit longer in Canada before they head south. How simple is that? That's not even... This isn't something that, that you need a support group to do. But it was these kinds of things that really stuck with the young people, where the older people in the church were sending the message that we like you. We like you being here. We like what you're all about, um, even, if, even if you're not meeting all of the specific things we'd like to see you do as you, as you mature in the faith. Thank you, Charles. So one of the things from their the uh, one of the things from their study that they found in studying Adventist churches 
was the importance of intergenerational relationships, young and old together. And it was the most important factor, one of the most important factors in actually keeping young people in the church. And as he said there, that there's no, uh, you don't have to try to figure out ways for this to happen. It's already happening, young and old interacting together. But the key or, or the, what's important to notice is what kind of experience do those young people have with the older generation. And in closing, I'd like to share an illustration Uh, if I may, that my wife shared with me uh, when she was a young person and recently baptized into the church. She, it's amazing. We got baptized at the same time, same age. I was baptized when she was nine. I was nineteen. So did she, and so she got baptized there in Okinawa, Japan, and she was, of course, trying to find a church. Now it's amazing. This is not common in all of Japan, but in Okinawa, there are quite a number of Seventh Day Adventist churches. Uh, there's a few that you could choose from, actually. On mainland, there are very few. Uh, there are very, very few Christians on mainland. But in Okinawa, uh, because we occupied Okinawa longer than the rest of uh, Japan, there are more church, Christian churches in Okinawa. So anyway, there's uh, some churches that she could have chosen. And when she was coming into the church as a young person, there's a couple of churches uh, that she remembers going to. And in particular, she remembers, as a, as a young woman, going into one church where, as she went into the church, some lady came up to her and did this. Hmm, you need to wear a jacket. And walked off. That's it. Now, remember, this is Okinawa. Okay, it gets very hot. So maybe there was nothing else that the lady could really complain about, but she wanted to find an issue with this young girl coming into church. And so um, y- y'all don't know Samako, okay? But I'm telling you, she when she's determined to do something, that's how it's going to be. And she, she determined that she would... She was going to go to church no matter what. So even though this lady uh, gave her a, a, a bad uh, a, a response coming into the church, there wasn't this, this feeling of acceptance right away. She determined she was going to stay in church. So she, she did. And then so what she decided to do was that she was uh, going to try to uh, another church. And so she found another church where when she came into the church that every time her and her friend would come into the church, they would do this. They would say, uh, Oriko, Oriko, Oriko. And what that means is, oh, good good girl, good girl, you're coming to church. Good girl, you know, y'all are good kids coming to church. And they, they created this atmosphere that was very loving and accepting. And so which church do you think that she has spent a majority of her time? It's at the second church. You know, with this uh, this atmosphere of acceptance and love. As a matter of fact, my wife tells me that she formed a very, very important bond with the ladies there, that they are actually like her spiritual mothers. And she, even to this day, even when she goes back to Japan, she connects with them and visits them. They came to her wedding when we were married. And so these are not her family members, not biologically, but spiritually they were. Uh, 
And, you know, she landed in that church. She spent most of her, her time there, and she uh, became active in the church and actually brought people into the church. And a very important factor was the response of those who were waiting in the church. And so the question for us today, what is our response? And, and I, I want to go beyond youth and young people, and I want to go to all people. What is our response for everybody who comes through the door? Is it a Christ-centered gospel response or not? Church, we need all hands on deck, old and young, to accomplish this work. And until everybody is involved, it's not going to be finished. Read the prophets. Read uh, the New Testament. Read uh, the spirit of prophecy. We need everybody to accomplish this work. And it is my hope and my prayer as a church that we become those who, like Eli, help our youth to recognize both their call and value as servants of God. May God bless you and happy Sabbath. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your holy word. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for both young and old in our church. Please help us, Lord, to work together for the accomplishment of the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the preparation for his soon return. God, please dismiss us with your blessing today. Thank you again, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.